The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to have you here today. I want to <clears throat> bring you up to speed a little bit on a couple of things. One downstairs is still totally uh, floorless with a finish, floor finish. We don't have carpet or anything on, and so we're still having to adjust. So I need to encourage you to... Um, Join me in praying that the, the restoration company would get the estimate done as quickly as possible so I can work with other uh, contractors and get this thing back up and rolling before our preschool launches here in, in a couple of weeks. And with that, you, you may get an email, depending on how much the insurance is going to allow us to cover, you may get an email and say, hey, we're, we're about to have a big work project again. And I know how much you guys love those. Okay, so we did one last, last summer, and it was pretty fun to see everybody come in and work uh, different ships um, to, to accomplish the remodel of the lobby out there. And so anyway, uh, be, be, on, like, be in prayer about that. And I'd like to encourage you also, if you know someone, we had a, Abby had hired a preschool teacher um, to start here in the next couple of weeks, and um, sh- her husband was uh, in the military, and, and he was at Fort, like, like he was somewhere local, I think he was at Fort Leavenworth, but he was driving back and forth, and she was local, and, and long story short, she just found out she was tra- transferred, and so we have a vacancy. If you know someone that you think would be a good fit, uh, not just someone who needs a job, but someone who would be a great fit that could help us fill that role, uh, I'd encourage you to let Abby know, and that would be a huge help to her. Like maybe post it uh, to your friends, send an email out if you could do that, whatever you could do, because we're kind of up against the wall, and we don't want to just hire anybody. We want a, an incredible candidate, but you could help us uh, with that. Now, uh, let's get into the Word today as we, uh, as we think about this whole idea of <clears throat> being ripped off. Secrets are fascinating things. Some secrets are great. You get a secret surprise party, and you got to keep the secret. You don't want to let anybody know, and that's a great secret. But then there are other secrets that we keep that no one else knows. And they're secrets deep inside, locked away, and we're living with them. And in those kind of secrets that no one else knows but you and possibly someone else and possibly no one else at all but you, it is in those kinds of secrets that the enemy can totally rip us off. We're walking around, we have things hidden inside, and we're thinking about them constantly. We're, they're, they're weighing on us. A lot of our, a lot of our emotional energy is used um, and dispensed on a secret like that to help us forget it and pretend like it's not there. And so we live as though it is not there, yet it remains, and it, it begins to impact us in so many different ways. And so the Bible teaches us in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, that there is a thief, and he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he will use a secret like that to strip away our very lives, our very, the freedom that Christ has died for us to have. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so to be able to have that full life means that we are living from a place of freedom where God is just, man, he's just breathing new life into us on a consistent basis. And we're walking in a place throughout the week where we just are blown away by our relationship with the Lord, that in spite of who we are and how insignificant we are as human beings, this incredibly glorious and magnificent, majestic God of the universe has died on a cross of Calvary, 
Jesus came in order to have a relationship with us. And so we, when, we, when we discover that and we walk in this relationship of being born-again Christians and meeting the Lord, we're just walking around and, and the Lord is just doing a work in our lives. But once we meet him, the enemy is constantly engaged in the battle trying to pull us away from God. Because the more freedom that God puts in our lives, the more freedom that God is able to like just pour out upon us, the more dangerous we become to the enemy in his territory. Jesus said, I will make a, a wellspring of life inside of you. Now, what is that? It's, it's that freedom, man. It's that stuff that's just bubbling up inside of us, and we're walking through life, and we're just, regardless of the circumstances that surround us, whether they're incredibly good or they're very difficult that we're going through, we're able to walk in this place of freedom. And that's why the Bible, Peter calls us the... Um, a peculiar people, a holy nation that we could just navigate through challenges differently uh, than people who do not know the Lord. And so that's the freedom that comes um, from following Christ and being totally surrendered to him. So today we look at a guy that has over 62 Old Testament chapters devoted to his biography. I mean, we know a lot about this guy. Um, there are 59 New Testament references that call our attention to him. So he was a person that no doubt lived in a place of freedom. He is a person that we are supposed to learn from. He is a person that the Bible itself is described as a man after God's own heart. And we're talking about King David, the David that slew Goliath when he was a young um, teenager. He stepped out and God just started working in his life at an early age. And God used him to lead the nation of Israel um, in an incredible period in their history. And so David is this guy who understood how to walk in freedom. And, and, and so he's a great man, no doubt. But, but the greatest thing about him when we look at his life is he's just a person who understands. You read the Psalms and he's written so many of the Psalms. He, he's, he's creative. He's, he's a warrior. I mean, he is a man's man. He's got it all. And he's just walking in freedom. Well, for the better part of a year, David was being ripped off. And he was living a lie and a life of hypocrisy and secrecy. And so when we come to the story of 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, um, it's a fascinating read, and I would encourage you this week to read it. I'm not gonna take the time just to read it verse by verse. I'm gonna go back through it and just kind of tell you what's going on. The, here's, here's the story, but it is, if you have your Bibles and you wanna kind of look a little bit, at, we're gonna be going through verse by verse when we draw the application, but I think it has a, it's such a powerful story that I just wanna tell it, and, and hopefully it can come to life for us today, and we can look and go, all right, where is this happening in my life, or I wanna make sure that this doesn't happen in my life, I wanna guard against it, I wanna apply these principles that God has taught us um, through the life of David. And so I, I would just say that I, I thank the Lord today, okay, and you should too, that the, the revelation of scripture is closed. Like, like, I am so thankful today that the Lord is not writing the Bible anymore because I don't want my story in there like this guy's story is in there. I just think everybody, like we're about to look into this guy's life and peel back the curtain and see a deep, dark secret. And we have all had those secrets. And you may be here today and you have one of those secrets. And I hope that you're, from the, the, the looking into this, this passage of Scripture, I hope you're able to 
find freedom in that secret if you're here this morning and you're carrying it around that you can walk away from it because it is, it is, it is destroying your life even though you think it is not. And so the, the way this, this goes in 2 Samuel chapter um, 11, it is a great time in David's life. Like he, he has been out battling and conquering territory. And the Lord has blessed him as he's gone out and he's succeeded and, and the Lord has used him and, and Jerusalem is having a heyday, man. They're, they're just, they're, they're like, they're a conquering nation that is, God is raising up and he's just doing incredible things in their life. And it, it's all through the leadership of King David. And God had promised that he was going to do that. And, and so they're becoming a wealthy nation. David is a wealthy individual. He has experienced the spoils of war. He, the Lord has allowed him to build his own house. And so he has built his incredible castle that he has now that he lives in. And, and, and so the, the, the story goes is that during the springtime, when kings go off to war, that Joab, which was David, one of his right-hand men that would go out into battle, Joab was leading a battle against the Ammonites. And it's the time of year when kings go out to war. But David stayed home and let Joab stay in the battle. And David is home and he's in the city of Jerusalem. He has finished his house. He's moved in. He's living the good life, if you will. And one night he can't sleep. He's tossing and he's turning. And you've had those kinds of nights. And really what's going on with David is he is bored stiff. And so these houses that they would build during this time, they would have rooftops and it was a very private place for a king, a place that he could go and no one else could see him, but he could be outside and enjoy himself. And so he gets up out of bed and he goes out on the rooftop and he's just walking around. And as he's walking around and stirring, he catches a glimpse of a woman taking a bath on another rooftop. And it wasn't just any woman. I mean, this was a beautiful woman. And when the Bible says that a woman is beautiful, you can sure sure bet that that she is a knockout, like perfect 10. Because the Bible doesn't use the words very beautiful unless it means like it wants you to get the emphasis that, that not just a beautiful woman, but a very beautiful woman. And so David sees her. And as he sees her, I guarantee you what's going through his mind is probably he needs to look away. Probably he needs to go back inside. He probably thought, maybe I just need to get out of here and I need to go and join Joab in the battle. But he could not pull himself away. He continued to look. He continued to look. And the enemy sucked him in. And as he looked and watched, and we don't know if it just happened on one night or if it was happening over and over, if he saw her in town one day or if he saw her at a meeting or a banquet or something of that nature. And then all of a sudden, he may have felt a little bit of attraction to her. But this night, he could see her. No one else knew he was watching. And he just continued to watch. And the enemy was just pulling him in. Sin is like that. It's like a magnet. It just sucks us in, and once it gets a hold of us, it just pulls, and it pulls, and it pulls. And so we learned last week in the book of James, and if you study James, that that our job when things like this happen is what we're supposed to do is resist the devil and, and, and flee from him and draw near to God, and he will flee from you as you draw near near to God. And, and David didn't do that. What he did instead was he sent for one of his servants, and he said, who is this woman who lives over here? And so the servant said, well, that's Bathsheba, and she is the wife of Uriah. And Uriah is off fighting the Ammonites with Joab. 
And so the, 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 the servant's telling him who she is, that she is married. And so David, he ups the ante and he says, send my messengers for her. And so they go and they get Bathsheba and they bring her back to the king's castle. Now, Bathsheba, no doubt, bears some responsibility in this. But when the king comes calling for you and he is, uh, he, he, he is a, you know, he's the monarch. Like, he, 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 if you don't do what he says, there's problems. And so Bathsheba comes and the, the scripture doesn't hide. Like, it, it paints David as a hero, but it, it also paints his failure. And the Bible says very clearly that they had sex that night. They, they just went for it. And the next day she goes home. And in time, we don't know how much time, but it took a little while because she had to figure this out. But she sends word back to David. And Joab and Uriah are still off fighting the Ammonites. And David is there in his castle and he gets word somehow from Bathsheba that she's pregnant. We don't know how many times they engaged in this intimacy, but probably frequently. They were sucked into it, and David found himself in the midst of it, and now Bathsheba is pregnant. And David finds himself in the middle of the mess, and he's like, oh no, what am I gonna do now? But he's trying to protect it, he's trying to hold on to it, he keeps the secret, and so he has the brilliant idea that he's gonna send for Uriah and have him come back home. So he has Uriah come back home and he asks Uriah, he asks Joab to send Uriah home and, and, and Uriah, he, he reports to the king and the king asks him, how are things going in the battle? And, and Uriah like reports to him about how things are going and they're, they're having some success. And so um, the king tells him to go on home, take the night off and spend it with your wife. And the king arranges to send a gift over to uh, Uriah's home. We don't know exactly what he sent, but so he, what he's doing is, is the king is thinking, David's thinking in his mind, if I can get Uriah to go home, he will have um, relations with his wife. And then Uriah and everybody else will think he's the one that has gotten her pregnant. And so he's got this plan worked out in his mind and he's mulled it over. But the next day comes and he learns that Uriah didn't go home. He slept out front inside of the, the gate of the castle with the king's servants. And so the king says, well, the next day he's like, why didn't you go home? He says, listen, Joab and all of the men who are warriors for Israel and the Ark of the Covenant is sleeping in tents. Who am I that I should go home during a time like this when my brothers are not able to go home? Who am I that I should go home and, and, and sleep with my wife tonight and enjoy the pleasures when all of my brothers are out there fighting for the Lord? And so right then and there, David should have had a, like a smack in the face from the Holy Spirit. But you know what he does? And this is the cycle of sin. Remember, sin, we learned last week that sin, it is conceived, then it gives birth, and then it starts to grow up like an infant, and then it picks up speed, and it starts to run, and before long, it gives birth to death. And we see the cycle played out in David's life. And so what does David do instead of realizing that God is trying to get his attention and stop this? Then, then David says, well, hey, Uriah, why don't you come over tonight and have dinner with me? And then... David gets him wasted. Surely if I can get this man drunk, 
drunk men will not do, like he's not, his integrity is gonna be compromised if I can get him there. And he's thinking I will get him so inebriated that he will want to go home, he will go home, and I'll be able to fix this thing. But guess what? It wasn't gonna happen. And there were two reasons that it wasn't going to happen. And one was, is that Uriah had integrity and he was doing the right thing and he really cared deeply inside. And the second reason is, is God was not going to let it happen. The Bible teaches us, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Like you can keep a secret and you can keep trying to get away with something and you can think that you're keeping it all together. But when God is after you and he's running hard after you and and he's pursuing you, it doesn't matter what you do, he's going to keep coming and he's gonna keep coming and he's gonna keep coming until ultimately you come to a place that God wants you to come to. And so the Uriah didn't go home. And so David now, now just think of this. Think of, think of what's having to go through David's mind as he's spending two days with the guy that he has just like committed adultery with this guy's wife. And for two days, he's hanging out with this guy. Think of the turmoil on the inside that is going on with David as he's hanging out with him, as he's having dinner with him, as he's living a lie and the enemy is just destroying him. He's just crushing him. And so... It's not successful. So what does he do? He decides to write a letter. And this is how much he trusted Uriah. He wrote a letter that was basically the death sentence for Uriah. It told Joab that when Uriah returns and you go into the next battle battle sequence, what I want you to do is I want you to put Uriah at the most dangerous place and advance the troops to ensure that Uriah is killed. And so he writes the letter and he seals it and he gives it to Uriah. And he says, I want you to take this back to Joab. And so what does Uriah do? He does that very thing. He takes it back to Joab. Joab reads it. Now, what in the world is David thinking? Because what is Joab thinking whenever he reads this letter and he goes, the king wants me to have Uriah killed. Why would the king want me to have Uriah killed? Well, everybody, if, if Uriah was married to a woman like that, everybody knew what she looked like. And so Joab put it together, and there's more to the story that we don't have time to get into, but David, in the consequences for his sin, he was setting himself up for blackmail even, and he was having, like it it was just a stupid thing to do all the way around. Well, Joab follows suit, and he does exactly what David has asked him to do, and Uriah is killed, and so are a lot of other men in order to cover up this situation that David has found himself in. And so Joab sends a report back to David through a servant, and he says to him, when you go, you report that, hey, we've had some casualties, we've advanced, and this is what happened, and then when the king gets furious for how we did this in battle, you tell him right at the end of it that Uriah, your servant, is dead. And so David is listening to the report, and the, the, the guy is telling him all about it, and then um, as he's listening, he says, Uriah is dead. And David responds to the servant, and he says, send back word to Joab. And he said, it's okay. The sword, like, it falls on some, and it doesn't fall on others. He basically says, when you're in battle, you can never determine who is going to die. But that is not what's going on. You see what is happening in David is he, is he has lost his mind so much that he, he's just trying to justify what has taken place. And he says, encourage Joab. And so the guy goes back and he encourages Joab. And then um, after the days of mourning 
for Bathsheba over her husband. She moves into the king's house. He takes her as his wife, and the child is born. And the, the story in chapter 11 says that the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The baby is born. We don't know exactly how much time has elapsed. But there's, many scholars believe it's about 12 months of this lie. And so in that period, David is trying to reestablish some, some, some form of normalcy in his life. He, he's living with a secret for an extended period of time. And as he's living with that secret, we come to a point, and this is how the Lord will work. If you are a child of the Lord, or if you are not, and the Lord wants you, this is how he will work in your life. Then the Lord sent Nathan. Well, who is Nathan? Nathan was a prophet. And so Nathan had his own responsibilities, and it was in the office uh, of leadership within the, the, the kingdom of Jerusalem, there was prophet, priest, and king. And so the prophet had a very important role. And so the prophet would come and he would report to different things about what is going on. He was kind of like, he worked in, in some ways sort of like the Holy Spirit works for us and through us today, is that he speaks to us and, and God uses the prophet to share the word of God um, with his people. And so Nathan the prophet shows up. We don't know exactly when, but it was in some time. He shows up at David's place and he goes in. Now think, if you've got to go to the king and, and you're like, like you, the word of the Lord has come to you that he needs to be confronted, that's a tall task. And so finally, the Lord has moved in Nathan's life and he's given him the way to do it. And so he comes to David and uh, David probably says, hey, how's it going, Nate? I don't know if he called him Nate, but it's a good nickname. Nate's like, it's okay, bro. It's okay. He said, but this thing's going on down in, in town. It was like, David's like, tell me about it. He said, well, there's this guy. He's a rich man. And he has loads of cattle and livestock. And there's another guy who's a poor man. And he barely has anything. But he has this one little ewe lamb that he's had since it was a baby. And, and he's raised it up and his kids love it. They feed it. It sleeps in his bed with him. Like it is like a lap dog to him, bro. He, they love this lamb. Like it's like a daughter to them. And David's like, Cool. He said, well, there was another rich guy who came in town to visit the, the first rich guy. He's like, yeah. And he's like, well, when he came in town, instead of taking one of his own calves or sheep, he took the other dude's calf and he butchered it and he fed it to his body. And David is furious. And he says, whatever, whoever this guy is, he will pay four times the amount of that lamb. And Nathan looks at him right in the eye and he says, you're the man. You took Uriah's wife, and David's secret has come out because God has saw sure that it would. And David crumpled in humility, and his response was, I have sinned against the Lord. So we see him in humility responding. Now, as we look at this story, and it's like, man, whoa. And we say, like, here, here's, here's what it's like to live a life of secrets. The enemy, as he attacked David, we learned 10 lessons from his ripoff. And I'm going to give them to you really quick. And what I want you to do with these 10 lessons is, one, 
if you're keeping a secret, if you've got your own secret today, and you're caught up in sin, I want you to check these off and look for how they're playing out in your life. If you were not, like if you, like if you don't have something like that going on, be sure that as the more you live for the Lord, the more the enemy is going to seek to attack you and put you in a place of bondage. And so you want to be aware of these things and realize, hey man, I remember when Jimmy was talking about this at, at church and, and, and this is happening to me and I need to get out of this and how do I get out of it? Because sometimes we just need other people to help us out of a situation. But, but here they are. First of all, he was attacked when all was well. When things are going great in your life and the Lord like is moving and, and, and man, you just see fruit everywhere and you just feel like things couldn't get any better, you better look out because that's when you're vulnerable. And the enemy will come at you with everything that he has because then you're just kind of enjoying the success that you've arrived at. Maybe it's in your career. Maybe it's ministerially. You've, you've stepped out in faith to do something for the Lord. Who knows what it can be, but you're just in a great place. That's when you're vulnerable and you have to keep your eyes peeled and you have to continue to walk with the Lord. You see, the reason that is such a dangerous place is because when things are not great, we are easily driven to a spirit of prayer and spending time with the Lord because we're concerned about things. We're anxious about things. But when things are great, man, we're not so anxious. We got all the money we could ever need. Our, our career is going great and people think we're great and maybe we've got some fame. And so we just, we just feel really, really good. And so there's really no need to spend time with the Lord. And that's what makes you vulnerable because it is you're spending time with the Lord as you draw near to the Lord that the enemy must flee from your life. And I am convinced that in this period of, of David's life, he was not drawing near to the Lord. He became vulnerable. He started believing all of the things that were happening around him was because he was so good at what he did and how good God made him. And he started thinking that he was responsible for the fruit of his labor when it was always God. And he stopped spending time with the Lord. And so be careful. He was attacked when all was well. Number two, we see it in verse one. He got him out of the battle. Like, look at verse one. It says, but David remained in Jerusalem. It was the time, like the author wants us to know this. It was the time that kings go out to war. It was springtime. This is what kings do. But David stayed home and he got out of the battle. And this is what happens for us is we will get out of um, fellowship with the body of Christ. We'll stop attending church. We won't be as faithful in our church attendance. And we think it's all right, bro, you're out of the battle, man. You're in a dangerous spot. And when you get out of the battle and you're not walking in fellowship with other believers, what happens is the enemy can come in and hit you right between the eyes because you have no one else looking out for you. You have no one else holding you accountable. You have no one else making sure that you're sitting with the Lord and abiding with him and talking to him and reading the word and you're just following suit with what the Lord wants in your life. And so he got him out of the battle and the enemy will do the same thing for us. Third, he was preoccupied with what he could not could not have instead of what he could have. And that is always false freedom. We looked at Cain. We looked at, we looked at the attack on Jesus and how the enemy tried to come against Jesus and, and show him what he could not have. And then we looked at Adam and Eve and how God showed them, like, like they started looking at what they could not have. We look at Cain and God starts looking at what, he starts looking at what he could not have. And we look at David, what's he doing? He's looking at what he could not have. And he became preoccupied with, with that, which is always false freedom is the enemy's strategy is to get us to look at what we cannot have instead of looking at all that we can have. 
And, and if we keep our eyes on all that we can have, we can see that life is pretty dang good, that God has blessed us with an incredible amount of stuff to enjoy all around. The, the third or fourth thing, he ignored the warning from others. Verse three, the guy says to him, isn't this um, Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Hey, David, she's married. Like God was, like he was screaming through these people. And this is how God will operate for us is sometimes like when we're going through a temptation, he will say something like that. And, and we feel like, man, yeah, you're right. That is her. And, 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 and you, you need to have the conversation with them and tell them what you're feeling so that they can help pull you away from the temptation. Some temptations are so great in your life that you will never overcome them unless you open up your mouth and share it with a brother or sister in Christ. If you are tempted right now to have an affair, right, like right now, if you are at work and you feel the temptation for another man or woman, you had better find somebody and tell them you're tempted or you're going to do it. Like it's that strong and that powerful. Anybody who does that and doesn't want to do it will tell you, man, I could not get out of that. And so we have to be accountable with one another and we have to realize there's some battles we could never get out of by ourselves, and we need a brother to pull us out of that or a sister to pull us out of that. And so the, 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 there was a warning that came and he ignored the warning. And so we have to listen to others. Then the fifth thing, he walked by sight, sight instead of faith. Instead of walking by what he could not see, again, it's sort of like uh, the second one, he walked by what he could see, and he just kept thinking about that, and he stopped walking in faith, and he started walking inside. He was looking at what he wanted. He was thinking about what his flesh wanted. He wanted to cater to the flesh instead of the spirit, and that led him right into the place where he could be totally um, destroyed for this period of his life. And then he got in the middle of a mess. Verse five, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. There's the mess. And you will find yourself when you're attacked by the enemy and you, you're not able to overcome the temptation and, and the cycle of sin starts happening, you will find yourself in the middle of the mess. And that always leads to the next one. He got him to cover up his mess. Instead of confess his mess, he got him to cover up his mess. And so he's working real hard to cover up his mess to try to keep it all together. And he thought he had a brilliant plan. And as he got him to cover up his mess and the mess, it wasn't working. The plan happened. The enemy had him pulled in so hard and he, he had him ignoring the voice of God and becoming sensitive to what the enemy wanted him to do. So he's being led of the flesh instead of the spirit. And he, the next one is you start acting totally irrational. You start thinking and acting irrational. Listen, the guy had one of his own warriors murdered to try to cover up for his own sin. Like when you get caught up in the cycle of sin, you will become so irrational that you are incapable of making good decisions. And that's why you better make a confession to a brother or sister in Christ because you need them to think for you. You cannot do it. You can't do it. You can't think through it. You can't figure it out. You can't keep it all together. The devil will keep telling you you can, but you can't do it. You will just become more and more and more irrational as we see that David did until ultimately you are willing to destroy the people around you because you're trying to protect what is being destroyed in your own life. And then the next one is, and this is what people do, verse 25, he got him to justify his sin. He says, 
Say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. This, like, tell Joab not to beat himself up over this. The, 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 sword, the sword is the one who makes up his mind. And David all, knew all the well. No, the sword didn't make up his mind, the, the, the mind about Uriah losing his life. It was you, David. You're the one that made up your mind. And then um, finally, we see in verse 26 and 27, that he got him into an unfavorable place with the Lord. So like the Lord, like the Lord is looking down on him, does the Lord love David? Yes. Does the Lord know David? Is he in relationship with him? Yes. Is he in a favorable place with the Lord? Absolutely not. Like, like he, he is in a really dark place as one of God's children. And that is the power of a secret sin, whatever it may be in your life. And so the big idea is this, because we see that the, there's no doubt the devil is a crafty liar. And so we must ask, what is the way out? Like if you're there right now and you're caught in that, what is the way out? Repentance is the only way out of a ripoff. Whenever Nathan looked at David and said, you're the man, here's what we can expect. Jesus taught us when the Holy Spirit comes, He's the comforter. He's the convictor. And so the Holy Spirit plays the role of Nathan in our lives. And when there's sin, the Holy Spirit is shouting at us and saying, like, you got this secret going on, bro. You need to deal with it. He's pointing and he's saying, you're the man. You're the man. But our pride will keep us from listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying. The secret is humility and responding in repentance and saying to the Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so stupid. Forgive me, Lord. I know I blew it. Now, we're going to end this talk with Psalm chapter 32. If you're taking notes, write these two Psalms down. Psalm 32, Psalm 51. They both were written by David after he was confronted by Nathan. So when David's like, here, man, you guys, you got to get this, okay? I feel like the Lord is impressing upon me to like, move, like lean in on you right here. If you're there, like if you've got something going on and the Lord is trying to get your attention, man, you're walking like a prisoner in life and the Lord wants you to be set free. Remember, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And so you could have had life and met the Lord and then started walking in sin. And now you're a child of God that is in bondage. And so when David was in that place of darkness for that year, that period, and he's, he's trying to keep it all together, man, and Nathan says, you're the man. And he says, I have sinned before the Lord. And he opens his mouth and he just confesses. It's like freedom just rushed into his life again. Like for a year, he's in bondage, and then all of a sudden, whoa, it just comes back in. And David is like, I'm back to where I know I need to be. Here's what he writes. The psalm is called a mascal, and that is, it means it's an instruction for us. David says, in light of all that he's done, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and, who, and in whose spirit is no deceit. 
This is coming from a man who he knows that his spirit has been in deceit. And he's, he's saying, look, blessed is the man who can correct that. And he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That's bondage. He said, man, when I didn't open up my mouth to the Lord and to my brothers, it was just like God was just pressing down upon me and I was in such a miserable, dark place. But he said, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. And David is saying, look, man, this is how you get back to freedom is that when you are confronted by your sin and God has gotten your attention, you got to confess it to the Lord. That's what this whole thing is about when we talk about preaching the gospel that Jesus came to forgive sinners. And, and it's not about a religious experience where we go to church and we do our good little religious duty. It's where we come to the cross and go, man, I am screwed up, Jesus. I'm broken. If you've never told Jesus you're broken, you don't know him today. Like the man who comes to the cross and takes a serious look at the inside goes, I am screwed up. I need you, Jesus. Forgive me. And the freedom comes rushing into your life as the Holy Spirit does his work of atonement and sets you free to live for Jesus. In John chapter 3, we are born again. The old man dies, the new man lives. And this is what David is saying to us. He's saying even like, like the, the journey starts with that, but even if we find ourselves as believers who have been born again, getting caught back up into sin, 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says um, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we can be set free. We can find ourselves doing stupid stuff, being caught back up into bondage, and Christ is just calling to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is saying, come on, man, just repent, 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 let go of it. I want you to be in freedom. I don't want you to be in bondage. I'm not going to beat you up, but my hand is going to stay heavy on you and you're not going to experience the full life that I died for you until you get this stuff corrected in your life. I've built you with a free will and you get to make the decision as to whether or not you're going to walk in freedom or bondage. And he calls out to us, the power of the Holy Spirit calls out upon us. And he says, listen, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. And we can so easily shake our fist at the, in the face of God and say, leave me alone. But when we come to that place and say, I'm broken. I, I'm broken, and there's nothing I can do to please God except believe that he wants to do a work in me and give up the rights to myself and start letting him teach me how he wants me to follow him. Whew. Freedom. I don't want a big church, guys. I don't want a church where just thousands of people come because they think that's what you're supposed to do in religion. I want a church with free people in it. Like, get, give me a free person because a free person will make another free person. And when people start living in freedom, 
the Lord can do amazing work. And that's where revivals come from. It's people walking in freedom and not in religion. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.